0: Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. My guest today is talent and HR leader, Jason Lauritsen. Our conversation is being recorded by Zoom. Jason Lauritsen is a keynote speaker, author, and consultant. He is an employee engagement and performance management expert who passionately believes that work can and should be a fulfilling experience for every employee. As well as being a former corporate executive and entrepreneur, Jason led the research team for Quantum Workplace's Best Places to Work program for three years. There, he studied the employee experience at thousands of companies to understand what the best workplaces in the world do differently than the rest to engage their employees. Jason is the author of the books, Unlocking High Performance, How to Use Performance Management to Engage and Empower Employees to Reach Their Full Potential, and Social Gravity, Harnessing the Natural Laws of Relationships. Jason is someone who will challenge you to think differently. And I know that because, full disclosure, as well as admiring Jason's expertise, I count him as a friend and mentor. Jason, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Stuart.
0: We know the world is broken right now, and that includes the world of work. We're recording this during the COVID-19 pandemic, so inevitably that will color much of our conversation. But to start, I want to set the scene for listeners. And so before we think about the future of work, I just want to think about what, what the past of work was like. So would you mind just describing a little bit about what employee engagement and performance management meant for workplaces, business owners, employees?
1: Wow, yeah the 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 way the world was right my daughter she calls it bc before covid right that, that's the bc world what what, it, what was what was remember back in bc so employee engagement and performance management i think are you know if, if i really simplify it these are the things that we do to create an experience of work for the employee that helps them to do their best work, to find success in what they are asked to do for work or as work, whatever that happens to be, whether you're begging groceries or you're you know, doing rocket science, and to do it in a way or in an environment that hopefully supports you and makes you feel like it's a Fulfilling experience. So that would be the aspiration of what employee engagement is and what performance management is. I wouldn't say that that's necessarily how it's been interpreted or enforced, but that's what it's, that's the aspiration. Why would companies invest in employee engagement? And and why
0: would employees uh, be open and willing to embrace whatever that
1: meant? We really want to step back, sort of zoom out for a minute. The practices of so let's set employee engagement aside for a second because employee engagement, for all intents and purposes, didn't exist as a as an idea or a practice until about thirty years ago. But back to kind of the beginning of work as we know it, sort of where groups of people went to work for a company, which um, probably or you know that's probably back late maybe late eighteen hundreds. Uh, when, when work as we understand it today sort of came into existence, managing employees' performance, right, getting them to do the things you need them to do that you're paying them to do is really at the heart of what performance management is. And so there were some practices that were born at the time around how do we do this and it's setting goals and then what do we do to make sure people are doing it. The the challenge Is that in that early sort of industrial era where we were asking people to do really sort of horrible, repetitive, mind-numbing work, the things you need to do to get people to do that kind of work consistently over time are not the same as the kind of work that we do in, you know, there's a lot of like knowledge and design and these kinds of works that are happening today where you're using ingenuity and it's the kind of work that actually we are born to do as humans. We're, you know, we're we're wired for it. The kinds of practices that you should be using to help people perform better in that circumstance and that kind of work, modern era are very different. And yet there's still a lot. So much of what's broken or much of what we've pulled forward is we've pulled a lot of the practices from those early days of, of management and performance management into current day. And I would say the work that I do around performance management and engagement is, is figuring out how to sort of undo that and reimagine it so that we can approach management and organizational how we build and manage and enable work in a way that actually is good for humans. I'm pleased that you sort of zoomed us out a little bit just to look back in time and to see how we've
0: traveled to the place we were at BC. But I think it's fair to say that, yes, you craft a particular niche for yourself around what we might think of in the industry as employee engagement, performance management, that sort of thing. But I think it's fair to say that Your broader lens as an expert and decades of experience in the field is really about people and how people work. You've alluded to some of the reasons why the corporate world in America arrived at a place where they were perpetuating perhaps some um, old forms of how people encountered the workplace. So, before we talk about how the pandemic is maybe giving us a new opportunity to think about the future of work, um, what are some of the things that you are perhaps Identifying as broken, and you're happy to perhaps see now ripe to be discarded.
1: It's so interesting um, to be to be where we are, having come through the last you know seven weeks or uh, what seven years of COVID, whatever it feels like today, COVID time. Um, I can tell you, I, I have a pretty specific count because I'm schooling my children and I every week like they remind me like, geez, do we still have to do this? I'm like, listen, I don't like it any more than you do. Let's just get through this. Um, but I find it increasingly difficult to kind of hold in my mind the realities that were BC and and the realities that are and what's becoming. I think here's what it here's what it keeps coming back to for me is that so much of what was broken about what we were doing, and that's where like when you opened up, you know, the world is broken and work is broken and whatever. And it's like, well, the world was broken and work was broken. It's just, you know, we threw gasoline on the fire and it's gotten hotter and we can now see the the brokenness more clearly. And I think that's really, really true for work. So in answer to your question, I would say one of the things that has been revealed, um, I think, through the pandemic response and what's happened that was there before is a massive lack of trust. Um, trust was broken and it's been broken. It's been broken from the very beginning because the, the processes that, we were, that were built to manage work or to manage employees from the very, very beginning, Made the assumption that if we don't as an organization, as a leadership group, as a manager, if I don't force you to do the right things, if I don't stay on top of you to do the right things, you will not do them because you are inherently untrustworthy. We start with that assumption, and then the entire system was built on that. Well, in that day and age, it made sense on some level because the work was really terrible. Like, it sucked. And they were working long hours and terrible conditions, getting not paid anything. And so it made some sense that you had to really be obsessive about making sure people were continuing to stay in it. But that we never really got through that. And so you see this playing out today when companies had to send people to to their home office. Like, well, we have to send everybody to work from home. And the biggest concern is, well, how are we going to know they're getting their work done? How are we going to know that they're going to work? And it's like a giant trust fall exercise that we put work through over the last you know, two months. And it's been a massive failure because the managers won't even fall they, they have so little trust in their employees. They won't. And that's why you see all these like, worrying about productivity and worrying about getting things done. And yet at the same token, I just had this, this, uh, My my webcast last month, I had a guest named Ben Waver who uh, is a co-founder and and, uh, leads a company called Humanize and they have enormous data sets that they analyze for companies around how work happens and and they, they analyze data that's already there like in your calendars and emails like macro level stuff and they look at trends. And what they've found over the years of studying this and they've studied across like you know, lots of companies, U.S., Europe, and beyond. And what they have found is when people go from the office to the home, regardless of what you do, regardless of what you do from a management perspective, from a process perspective, the amount of focused work that they complete is the same. Doesn't change. People just get it done. And so you've got managers worrying about work getting done where the reality is the work's going to get done people are going to do the work. And the really hard reality, if you're a manager, is that people have been finding ways to overcome your terrible management for years to get their work done. Now they get to go to an environment where the worst thing they have to deal with is their kid's school, which is probably a lot better than the nonsense that you've been pulling on them. And so The the trust is what's broken. So this is a really long answer, but I think it's so foundational to what's broken. So like that's an example of one of the things that was broken and now it's just laid bare and we can see that it's broken and now we really need to get real about fixing it.
0: know one of the components of work or how we experience our working lives is tied to this concept or this philosophy of of work being a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if you might explain just a little bit about what you mean by that,
1: because it feels particularly salient now, given what you were saying. Yeah. So that's, that's my, uh, I guess sort of when I get up on my get up on my pulpit and preach the 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 word here that's that is sort of always at the heart of the message. And the way that I came to that was during my in my bio you talked about this time at Quantum where I was um, I got the opportunity to lead the best places to work team and one of the things that happened every year Quantum uses. Um, for those not familiar with Quantum Workplace, they're an HR technology company. They build employee feedback tools. One of them is an employee survey. And so we use this survey to be the instrument that employees complete when their company's participating in a best place to work contest. So we're collecting hundreds of thousands of employee survey responses every year. And then at the end of the year, uh, Quantum Workplace does a like trends report, looks at all this data to see what things are most strongly correlated to overall satisfaction and engagement for employees across the U.S. What I started to notice through looking at that data every year, and I and it it shouldn't have been that big of a surprise, but I guess what I started to realize is that the the stuff at the top of the list, there was always some things that kept showing up, things like feeling valued and trusted and cared for and respected, that were always, they were always on the top ten. Like, and some other things would come in and out depending on economic conditions, um, but there was always those things. And what I came to realize and understand was that those are, those are as you, as you um, suggested, they're relational. And as I started to look at that and think about it and unpack it and went and sort of looked at other data sets and then thought about what we know, came to realize that the truth is that employees, for employees, when you really look at what this data tells us, employees experience work in the way, same way that they do any other important relationship in their life. And so, you know, work isn't a, it's not a transactional thing for most employees. It, it is literally, they're experiencing it like a relationship. They want to feel seen and they want to belong to it and they want to feel valued and trusted and respected and all of these things. Once you recognize that, everything starts to become more clear about what was broken about work and what needs to be fixed because work as we know it in a majority of places is designed essentially all work processes are designed around enforcing a contract of work with the employee i get i pay you a paycheck you give me work product and that's it's a transactional relationship and then all of the management and hr processes are built around enforcing the contract you know job descriptions and policy manuals and employee handbooks and performance improvement processes, whatever those are, when you get written up for being late to work, every piece of that is designed to make sure that the company is getting its money's worth out of the employee. And the problem is that's the reality employees walk into and the employee showing up wanting to be in a relationship and they're met with a kind of what have you done for me lately contractual um, response. Obviously, it doesn't feel very good to the employee. And that's basically the reality we've been in. And I think we're being forced to confront that in a pretty real way right now.
0: One aspect, it's a large aspect covering many things, but one aspect that's become clear are all the inequities that many different types of people and many different types of work face and were facing all the time, but it's been revealed really starkly now by the pandemic. What ways are you seeing some of these inequities in in the workplace uh, differently through that lens of relationships,
1: yeah, I think when you when you start to realize or start to view and filter the the work experience or the experience of work, whether you know through the it pick any person in any job and and you start to think about it relationally, you know, you put it through that filter of relationship, things start to, the ridiculousness of some of the things that we do start to come up, you know, like, uh, I'll never forget one, I, I did a, I did some training for a group of leaders for an organization, and I was training them on this idea, and we were unpacking this idea and talking through it, and I remember one of the leaders in there sort of had this aha moment, because I was reflecting on for them like what the experience of recruiting is like in a lot of organizations and the way that most organizations treat recruiting especially this is older school I should say so old school way of thinking about it is you know I'm giving you the privilege of interviewing with me and so I will treat you however I want to if I want to leave you sitting and waiting for me for 45 minutes that's whatever. You need the job. I don't need you. And then once you do get to sit in front of me, it's on you to convince me as to why you are worthy of my time and attention or worthy of being in a relationship with you. Like, I, like imagine what that would feel like if you, if you approach dating that way, right, Uh, your eHarmony profile, um, and how you like, it's like, I'll show up when I want to show up. And once I get there, you had better convince me in the first five minutes that I'm going to pay for dinner or that I should even stick around because I'm very, I'm very important. And my time is, you know, I'm very busy. Like, that would never go over. Plus, there's 10 other people
0: just waiting in the waiting room to take this chair.
1: Right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. If you're not interesting enough, I'll just rotate the next one in. Like that, and, and, and all of a sudden, it was just like this light bulb went on for him. The way that I often, the way that I often help people think about this, because that's a little abstract for people sometimes. They're like, okay, how do I, and they're like, well, and it's different. That's romantic, whatever. It's like, okay, well, let's take all that out. and Let's make it simpler. If you were interviewing that person, that person coming in, let's say it was your best friend's daughter. Someone who you've known forever, you have a relationship with, you really care deeply about. If that person was on the other end of that experience at work, whether it's an interview or whether it's, you know, um, whether th- maybe that's the the employee on your team who you're about to have to give some bad news to, if if you really cared about that person, like professionally outside of work, you had a relationship. Would you approach that conversation differently than you would with any general employee? And almost invariably, they're like, "Yeah, yeah, I would." Or if it was your best friend on the other end of that, like, how would you treat your best friend if they were coming in to interview for a job at the company? You would show up very different. Like you, you'd call them the day before and prep them, and you'd meet them at the door to walk them. Like, like, why don't we treat everyone that way? And that's that is once you start to play that out so much about what we do at work and the way we treat each other at work is ridiculous you are
0: listening to lives we'll be back after the break
2: take care of me and my fragile heart it's yours to keep but it can break Because my love is here to stay.
0: I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is LIVES. My guest today is talent and HR leader, Jason Lauritsen. Our conversation is being recorded by Zoom. Before we talk about what the future of work might look like, a little bit from your perspective and acknowledging that none of us have a crystal ball, do you even think it's possible to talk about the future of work? I mean, we're surrounded by people talking about what the future is going to be. And I think some people have more skill sets to help us see that than others, maybe plan for it. But is it possible for us to think about the future of work? And if it is, do you have a thought about less the content, but more how we might go about it?
1: Well, we should endeavor to think about the future of work, even if it's hard. It's very, very hard. I mean, as you you and I, our mutual friend, Rebecca Ryan, who is a mentor and um, someone who has taught me how to think about the future, it's one of the hardest things to do. Like doing it well. Now, let's separate. There's a lot of people. I would say you said there's a lot of you know people talking about it or whatever. There's a lot of people that you know shoot off their mouth about the future and make bold predictions based on nothing. Like that's that's one thing. But being responsible and thinking about and trying to trying to be careful in understanding what is what are the potential scenarios that might play out in the future and what is most likely and its probabilities and all of that so so i think it it's important to endeavor to think about it because too often and i think we just haven't we haven't we've we traditionally work as kind of evolved in response. It's been a very reactive kind of evolution of work over the course of the last number of decades. But things are moving too fast and changing too much for us not to be thinking about it. The, the, the difference, I think, with some of what, where we're at today is that the future of work exists in, you know, one year and three year and five year increments. 20 year increments is really, really, really hard to think about. Um, so yes, I think we should. And I think when we when we do think about it it's about looking to what data and trends and reality is telling us i think we we sometimes get into magical thinking and we sometimes get into you know telling ourselves fairy tales about what we wish would happen which is fine like that's fun to have those kinds of conversations too but i think it's more it's much more valuable to look at what what the trend lines are pointing towards and what could we, you know, based on those trend lines and based on what we know, what could we reasonably expect from a probability perspective to happen or play out? And then we can start preparing ourselves for a range of possibilities. I think that the where people get tripped up when it comes to future of work planning is that this is different than creating a vision for your company because a vision for your company is aspirational. Future of work planning is Uh, a planning exercise. It's to help you prepare your organization or yourself for a range of most likely probabilities that lie ahead. So you might build competencies or build technology capabilities that can support a number of ways that it might play out, as opposed to a singular point on the horizon that we've all said, well, that's where we're going. We're all going to have chips in our brains and just, you know, invent work by sitting around, you know, whatever it is, like some, something um, that may or may not be the actual reality. You and I aren't going to cover every possible trend. And in some ways, we'll probably look back in a
0: year's time and, and, and say, well, we were kind of close on this one. That one was spot on. And the rest of it, who knows, right? Who knows? Um, mm-hmm. But um, you do have a lot of experience in the field. Plus, you talk with a lot of thought leaders in your role. So you have a, perhaps a, a, a keener sense than most of us about what we might be having to plan for. So are there any potentialities or scenarios that seem to be playing out over the next 12, 24, 36 months that you think are important for us to be thinking about uh, and maybe planning for? And then building on that, I do want to see if there's anything that you particularly, given your own particular passion, if there's something there that you really want to drive your
1: message towards. I think it's a a really uh, challenging question to answer at the moment because there are there's been a number, you know, like a number of trend lines have been pretty disrupted, and I I don't. I don't know, I don't claim to understand for sure whether those things will return to the, you know, snap back to the path they were on or not. I do think, you know, things like, and this isn't any surprise, but things like technological sort of development towards automation and, you know, the promise of artificial intelligence and the disruption of jobs, I think, you know, we're we're living through A a case study of what that might feel like at some point. It won't happen as quickly, but when they talk about numbers of like a third of jobs being disrupted um, in the future, it's interesting uh, that we're now a third of jobs have been disrupted in the last six, seven, eight weeks. And so it's it's been interesting to see the response. There are different kinds of jobs than probably what we had expected, but I think it is interesting. So I think that's one that we have to pay attention to. I think the very nature of, the shifting nature of what um, work looks like in terms of how it happens, where it happens. Um, When you think about things like the growing, you know, the trend line around the number of people that are doing some level of freelance work, whether full-time, part-time, side hustle, that shifting nature of full-time versus part-time in terms of what I'm looking for in my career, the number of people that are working multiple different jobs. I I do air quotes that people can't see jobs. Um, All of that, I think, also gets accelerated by what just happened. Uh, I just was looking this morning, literally, I I had an article hit my inbox that uh, it was an article talking about some research that IBM just did, 25,000 workers in the US. And the data was something like 52 or 54% of of the workers they surveyed said that they would like remote work to be their primary way of working going forward 70% said they want it to be at least part of the mix going forward that alone just perceptions about like because what's happened is what's possible just got blown completely like the the line has moved on that and so so those are the kinds of things that i think The very nature of what it's going to mean to be an employee or a worker for an organization, where you're going to do it, how you're going to do it is going to completely shift. And so those are the kinds of trends that I think we should be really paying attention to right now because they're not going anywhere.
0: want to shift gears just a little bit and ask, why do you care? And I'm asking that question in the sense that there are many ways to craft a career, to make a living. And I think the very, very broad field of HR and talent management is essentially about people and people in the workplace. But I also think that HR can perhaps be perceived in a somewhat negative context by by workers, and and, and also by business owners and investors. But at its heart, it's about people. And you clearly have a passion for making life at work better for everybody. And I want to know why you care.
1: (laughs) I love that question. So probably two two things I, I would say. One is because I have seen and felt what a bad workplace does to a human being, a bad work experience, a bad boss. I I've had I've worked in some really terrible <laughs> situations for some bad bosses, and it is soul crushing. And I know what that does. Like I've 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 lived through the experience of of you know i i often tell the story about in in one of my uh, one of my trainings i tell the story to kind of illustrate this point of like why are we here why does this matter and i tell the story about when i quit one of my corporate jobs the day i put my my resignation in i came home and i got home and uh, my wife sort of greeted me and was like so you know tell me about your day and we poured a glass of wine and um Cause she, I mean, it was no secret that I, I like, I really disliked this job and we got to talking and then we sat down and had dinner and over the course of dinner, she looked across the table at me and said, "Man, it's good to see you smile. And it just like floored me. And it floored me because I thought I was compartmentalizing it. I thought I was protecting them from this experience I was having and how much it was impacting me. But I came to find out in that moment and sort of the conversation that unfolded is that it wasn't me that was protecting them. It was them, my family that was protecting me i had been i hadn 't been a great dad you know i 'd been low patience i 'd been all irritable i 'd been drinking too much and eating too much, and just hadn 't been all that pleasant to be around and so in that just moment, it brought it forward that like this can and, and, and I do the work of employee engagement, I thought I was immune to it, and it had broken me and so if if it can break me, imagine what it can do to someone who doesn't even think about it or isn't even aware of what's going on. And so that was that was one. And I think the other half of it is just that I don't know I don't know why. I didn't choose this, but I just am like I am a, I am motivated to make I'm motivated to change and fix things that are broken, especially things that impact people um, and it It hurts me to know how many people have to live through a terrible experience of work every day and it 's completely unnecessary, completely unnecessary because I also know some people who have um, I, and i 've had this that like where work makes you more, it amplifies you and that's what's possible. And so that's what it should be. And we're just not doing it. Wow. I love that idea that
0: work can and should amplify you
1: and that work
0: is not something meant to crush you. Um, but it's in some ways meant to uplift you. And in doing so it's, it, it, it benefits everybody.
1: And I need, I need to give credit to my, um, my friend, uh, Greg Harris at, uh, quantum workplace, because I, I, he was the first one that kind of put that, that, Word in my mind. Um, I usually use say fulfilling and all these different things, but I remember at one point when I went to work at Quantum, and I sent him a text. I was having a lot of fun in the early days, and and I just said I'd sent him a text saying, "Hey, I just I really appreciate you adding me to the team, or whatever." He's I said something like that, and he just said, "We didn't we didn't add you, we just amplified you, or something like that." And it was just sort of this idea that stuck with me that I'm like, "That's what a great aspiration."
0: Let's go further back then. I, okay. I wanted to ask that question about why you care, but um, I also want to get a sense of who you are. So share a little bit about um, your upbringing.
1: Sure. So I grew up on a, on a farm uh, seven miles outside of a little uh, community in rural community in northwest Iowa. So I grew up a Midwestern farm kid. And uh, although I, I say that in that I grew up on a farm, but my dad stopped farming when I was born. So I didn't actually grow up in the traditional like running, driving combine and all of that. I, we, had, uh, we had animals. I lived on a farmstead and we probably more ranching than farming. But uh, grew up, I have one younger sister. Uh, my parents, you know, my, my wife often sort of jokes that you know, I grew up on the, I was sort of a, I had kind of a leave it to beaver childhood in a lot of ways. My mom was a school teacher. My dad uh, was a cattle buyer for most of, most of my life growing up. And, and I am so grateful for the experiences I had growing up as a, you know, it was very much, you know, it was a very values driven kind of upbringing. And I think a lot of that pours out, you know, in me as a parent now, you know things that were you know valuing sort of hard work and ethics and integrity and values and community and and that all sort of gleaned all of that just from growing up in the in the house and the community that I did and having role models to learn from um, in my parents and my grandparents uh, just as as really poured over and and i I think you know I would say there's a number of things that have come up, you know, my mom being a school teacher and sort of really, you know, valuing education and caring for people. Like my mom always, like she complained about her job a lot, management or whatever, but she would never, you know, I used to sit and have these conversations with her about like, and it's been funny because I used to say like the teachers have the power. I'm like, if you guys walked out, the parents freak out, they put pressure back on the administration they 're going to get you paid more, but she could she would never even consider it because she cared too much for the kids right That care for other people I think came really spilled over and then my and, and my dad, I think the lasting impact my dad left on me in a lot of ways is just the he always sort of um, you know, I, I, one of the things is that the integrity piece is like, you just, there's a lot of things you can trade and a lot of things you can, you can morph, but you never, ever, ever compromise your integrity. And that's lived with me forever. My dad was also kind of a guy that had a low tolerance for BS and unnecessary stuff. And so I think that has stuck with me too. But so yeah, my, my childhood shaped me in a lot of really important ways.
2: Just wanna ball, somebody I can call Trophies on the wall, can I really have it all? Just wanna ball, somebody I can call When I start, I'm for the greats and the arc. I've been shooting my shot and would you look at the arc? It started off as a spark, just you walking the yard Against all of the odds, I'm toe-to-toe with the gods Yeah, and that is not for applause That's for all of y'all, that's to find the odds of trying to pop Remember that the world is yours, world's a course odds to the world of yours, yeah And I just wanna ball, somebody I can call Trophies on the wall, can I really have it all? I just wanna ball, somebody I can call Trophies on the wall, can I really have it all? I just want to ball, somebody I can call Trophies on the wall, can I really have it all? Can I really have it? It's the start of fall and I know the league Tipping off, Hong Kong pay attention When you get involved, my songs Is the anthem for the underdog My songs, with their hands up like the sirens on From now on, we demand for y'all to carry on From now on, I want trophies In my carry-on, from now on I want banners in the jumble jumbotron From now on, we the champs and the time is on I just want to ball, somebody I can
0: I have been fortunate enough to see you traverse some aspects of your career, but, but not all of it. And I'm wondering what have been some of the highlights in that career and, and perhaps some of the lowlights where the highlights have amplified you and taught you something. And also the lowlights have, have been um, uh, you know, somewhat crushing, and but also given you lessons that you've been able to translate into the work you
1: do i i probably should do more reflection on this and i know that we've probably talked about you know my answer to this question probably changes every time i get asked to be honest uh, depending on where i'm at i've always been oriented one of the things i've learned about myself over the years is that i am a i'm i am so future oriented at times that i i fail to i failed i like i'll miss things or like i have people tell me stories about things that I was involved in. And I'm like, really? I'm like, I don't, that sounds really cool. I don't even remember being, you know, like I sometimes have those kinds of like, my brain is so busy processing what's next that I've missed things. But I would say when I reflect on my career, I think the impact, the the stuff that stands out to me is always achievement based. It's always, um, when we accomplish something that was either super important to me, or that somebody, you know, that that people didn't think was possible, so I think about that. It's about being able to um, enact a real change or a real impact. And you know, my days at I worked for a company called Omnium Worldwide in Omaha, and we did some really, really cool stuff that really had an impact on I think the quality of people's experience those are the moments that stand out for me in terms of, of pride and excitement. And the moments that are the hardest were when I was stuck in a spot where I could see possibility. I could see potential. I knew what we, I knew what was possible or I knew what we were capable of. And I was trapped either in a culture or with a leader who either didn't, wouldn't, or couldn't go there. That's more about me than it is about the leader, to be honest. Like you know, I, I, At the time, I blamed the leader and I would rage and was angry with some people that I worked for. But in hindsight, that's all about me. And so the only way that I could ever get to like being happy all the time is unburdening myself with this burden of having a boss. Like I had to do my own thing. That way I live in pure accountability. So like the economy has fallen apart. My business has blown up and changed dramatically in the last two months. And you know what? It's on me to, to figure that out. And I love that. I will either succeed or fail based on the decisions I make, not on some boss that can't see the genius of my, whatever it is that I'm trying to see at the time. Like I gotta go do it. And so that's what makes me happy.
0: I'm glad you went there because you talked about being future oriented, future thinking, and we've been talking broadly about possible future of work Mm -hmm. and what we might hope and aspire to see in that landscape. But I guess I want to finish with asking you a more personal question because we've talked about 33 million people unemployed. Uh, Many of us are working out different ways that we can reconfigure what was lying ahead of us as a predictable work, uh, work stream, workplace, work lifestyle. But as you said, this, this is all blown up. And and I know that this applies to you too. You're a business Mm -hmm. person for yourself. And all of a sudden the world doesn't look the same. So I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind just sharing how you're thinking about the future of your work. Sure.
1: I, I make my living partly as a professional speaker. That's a chunk of my business. Partly as they, I call it a thought leader for hire. So, you know, a lot of, I do a lot of writing and speaking for people that, you know, um, want content to help them or their customers think better about employee engagement workplace. And um, part of it, helping employers with, in, you know, creating better experience for their employees, whether that's, you know, management training or whatever, consulting. And all three of those, all three of those things were dramatically disrupted in a lot of different ways. And so as I, so thankfully, one of the trends that in my business that's, in, that is important um, and I've been watching is the move towards online experiences, online training, online collaboration, online events. And I've been investing in that um, knowledge in that area, competency, lots of different things in that area. I had plans this year to to launch products and, and move that way. So obviously the shifts have moved me pretty dramatically. I've, there's no in-person events happening anytime in the near future. They keep canceling. Um, I, and so when I think about that, I don't, you know, what I was realizing is the reality for me in the way that i'm thinking about it right now is that i have to find ways through online products or delivery whatever you know whatever that looks like facilitation consultation writing events whatever it is i have to find a way to survive into early next year because my bet is that you know at what point whenever point we have the promise of a vaccine in hand that's when and only then is when the big you know, big conferences will start considering putting dates on the calendar. And when they start doing that, they start booking speakers and that sort of thing. Some of my business starts to restore. A lot of speakers aren't going to make it. Uh, I, and so I intend to be one of them that does. And so I'll still be there when they're ready. I also think in the interim, there's a lot of organizations that need help sorting this out. Um, the organization of the future is going to be more it's going to be more distributed. It's going to be more. Um, it's going to need to be more human in a lot of ways. Weirdly, we're going to bring more technology in, but as we bring more technology in, it it requires that we get smarter and better at helping people feel like they belong to part of something, even though they're not there in person. Helping people feel seen and validated and acknowledged and heard, all of those things. Are deeply human. And so we're going to have to become more human as we become more distributed. And so I feel like I've, I've spent my entire life preparing for this moment. And so I'm ready. I just have to, I have to find a delivery method to make sure that either I can find the people that need the help or the people that need the help can find me. And so that's really where I'm at.
0: Guest today has been talent and HR leader Jason Laurison. Jason, it's been
1: a real pleasure. Thanks for being on the show. I have enjoyed it, thanks, Stuart. I think I'm, I think I've said enough, I've said plenty.
0: That's the end of this week's show. Our sound engineers are Mark McGaw and Dalimar McTizic. I'm your host and producer, Stuart Chittenden. Live's Radio Show is an executive production of Squish Talks. Find links to podcasts of this and previous shows via our Instagram and Facebook profiles at Lives Radio Show. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life.